Section 2 of My Strange Rescue This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brianna My Strange Rescue by James MacDonald Oxley Section 2 a blessing in stern disguise. Bruno Perry's home was in about as lonely and unattractive a spot as one could well imagine. An unpleasant fact, the force of which nobody felt more keenly than did Bruno himself, for he was a very sociable disposition and delighted in companionship. But, besides his father and mother, companions he had none, except his half-bred collie, Steeltrap, who had been given that name because of his sharpness, and who recognized no other master than Bruno, to whom he was unflaggingly devoted. To find a Perry house was no easy task for it lay away off from the main road, on a little road of its own that was hardly better than a wood-path. Donald Perry was a very strange man. He was moody and taciturn by nature, and much given to brooding over real and fancied wrongs. Some years ago he had owned a fine farm not far from Riverton, but owing to a succession of disputes with his neighbors about boundary lines and other matters, he had in a fit of anger disposed of his farm and banished himself and his family to the wilderness, where he had purchased for a mere trifle the abandoned clearing of Timber Jobber. Poor little Bruno, at that time only ten years old, cried bitterly as they turned their backs upon the pleasant home which he had come to love so dearly, and his mother joined her tears with his. But his father was not to be moved from his purpose. He had not much faith in or sympathy for other people's feelings or notions, as he contemptuously called them. The only notice he took of his wife and son in the matter was to gruffly bid them stop blubbering, and they both knew him too well not to do their best to obey. That was full five years ago, and in all this time neither Bruno nor his mother had had any other society than their own except an occasional deer-hunter or wood-ranger who might beg the favor of a night's lodging if he happened to find the farmhouse after sundown. Oh, mother, are we always to live in this dreadful place? exclaimed Bruno one day, when he knew his father to be well out of hearing. I'm sure we'll go clean crazy if I don't get out of it soon. Father will have it that I must learn to run the farm so as to take hold when he gives up, but I'll never be a backwoods farmer. I'd rather die first. 
"Hush, hush, my boy," said Mrs. Perry, in gentle reproof. "You must not talk that way. You don't mean what you say." "Yes, I do, mother, mean every word of it," replied Bruno vehemently. "I'll run away if father won't let me go with his consent." "And what would mother do without the light of her life?" asked Mrs. Perry tenderly, taking her son's curly head in both hands and giving him a fond kiss on the forehead. Bruno was silent for a moment, and then exclaimed petulantly, "Why couldn't you come too, mother?" "Ah, no, boy," was the gentle response. "I'll never leave my husband, even though my boy should leave me. But be patient yet a little while. Be patient, Bruno. I don't think God intended you for a backwood farmer, and if we only wait, he will no doubt open a way for you somehow or other. Waiting's precious poor fun, mother, replied Bruno roughly, yet in a tone that reassured his mother, who indeed was always dreading lest her son's longing for the stir and bustle of the city life should lead him to run away from the farm, so he cordially disliked, leaving her to bear the double burden of unshared troubles and anxiety for her darling's welfare. Bruno Perry was not a common country boy, rough, rude, and uncultivated. His mother had enjoyed a good education in her youth, and possessed, besides, a refined, gentle spirit that fitted her far better for the cultured life of the city than the rough and troubled existence to which the eccentricity of her husband had doomed her. Bruno had inherited much of her fine spirit, together with no small share of his father's deep, strong nature and thanks to his mother's faithful teaching and the wise use of a few books they had brought with them into the wilderness, was a fairly well-educated lad. Every Saturday his father drove all alone to the nearest settlement and brought back with him a newspaper which Bruno awaited with hungry eyes and eagerly devoted when at last it fell into his hands. By this means he knew a little, at all events, of the great world beyond the forest, and his knowledge maintained that the fever hit his desire to be in the midst of it. Only his deep affection for the mother kept him at home. The summer just past had been an especially restless, uneasy time for Bruno. His blood seemed fairly on fire with impatience and his lot. In even the cool dark days of autumn brought no chill to his ardor. If anything, they made the matter worse, for the summer, with its bright sunny mornings, its delicious afternoon baths in the clear deep pool beyond the barn, and its long serene evenings, was not so hard to bear, even in the wilderness. Neither was the autumn, 
with its nutting forays, its partridge and woodcock shooting, and its fruit and berry expeditions, by any means intolerable. But the winter, the long, dreary, monotonous Canadian winter, when for week after week the mercury sank down below zero and rarely rose above it, when the cattle had to be fed and watered, though the hands stiffened and the feet stung with bitter biting cold, while ears and cheek and nose were constantly being napped by pitiless jack frost, while well, the long and short of it was the one night after Mr. Perry had gone off grimly to bed, looking much as if he were going to his tomb, leaving his wife and son sitting beside the big wood fire in the kitchen, Bruno drew his chair close to Mrs. Perry's, and slipping his hand into hers, looked up into her sweet face with a determined expression she had never observed in him before. Mother, said Bruno in low, earnest tones, it's no use. This is the last winter I shall ever spend in this place. I can't and won't stand it any longer. Father may say what he likes, but he'll never make a farmer of me. What will you do, Bruno, dear? asked his mother gently, seeing clearly enough that it was no time for argument or opposition. Why, I'll go right into town and do something. I don't care what it is, so as long as it's honest and brings me bread and butter. I'd rather be a boot black in town than stay out in this hateful place. But you hope to be something better than a bootblack, don't you, dearest? questioned Mrs. Perry with a sad smile, for she felt the crisis in her boy's life had come, and that this whole future might depend upon the way she dealt with him now. Of course I do, mother, he answered, smiling in his turn. But that will be better than nothing for a beginning and something better will turn up after a while. Very well, Bruno, so be it. Of course, it's no use beginning business as a boot black in winter time when everybody is wearing overshoes. But when the spring mud comes, then will be your chance, and perhaps before springtime a better opening may present itself. Bruno felt the force of his mother's clever reasoning, and with a quiet laugh replied, Oh, right, mother, I'll wait until spring as patiently as I can be. The afternoon following this conversation, Bruno thought he would go into the forest and see if he could not get a shot at something he hardly knew what. The snow lay deep upon the ground, so he strapped on his snowshoes, and with gun on shoulder and hatchet at belt, strode off in the woods. He was in rather an unhappy frame of mind, 
and hoped that a good long walk and the excitement of hunting would do him good. His father's clearing was not very large, and beyond its edge the great forest stretched away and broken for uncounted leagues. Close at Bruno's heels ran the faithful steel trap, full of joy at the prospect of an afternoon's outing. The air was very cold, but not a breath of wind broke its stillness, and the only interruptions of the perfect silence were the crushing of the crisp snow beneath Bruno's broad shoes and the occasional impatient barks of his canine companion. Climbing the hill that rose half a mile to the north from his home, Bruno descended the other side, crossed the intervening valley, where a brook ran gurgling underneath its ice covering, and ascended the ridge beyond, pushing further and further into the forest until he had gone several miles from the house. Then he halted and sat down upon a log for a rest. He had not been there many minutes before a sudden steer on the part of Steel Trap attracted his attention, and looking up, he caught sight of a fine black fox gazing at him curiously, for an instant ere it bounded away. As quick as a flash, Bruno threw his gun to his shoulder, fired almost without taking aim, and to his vast delight the shot evidently took effect, for the fox, after one spasmodic leap into the air, went limping off, dragging a hind leg in a way that told clearly enough it was broken. After him, still trap, after him, shouted Bruno. The dog needed no urging on. With eager bark he dashed after the wounded fox, and Bruno following as fast as he could. Away went the three of them at the top of their speed, the boy just able to keep his quarry in sight, while still trap was doing his best to get a good grip of his hindquarters so as to bring him to the ground. In this fashion they must have gone a good half-mile when they came to a bare trap, into which the fox vanished like a shadow, while still trap, afraid to follow, contented him with staying outside and barking vigorously. On Bruno coming up, he hardly knew what to do at first. Telling Steel Trap to watch the door, he examined the trap all around, and satisfied himself that there was no other way for the fox to get out. Then he made up his mind how to act. Aha, my black beauty, you're not going to get off so easily as that, he said and kneeling down, he slipped off his snowshoes and stood in his moccasined feet. Then, leaning his gun against the wall of the trap, which, I might explain, is built like a tiny log hut, having a heavy log suspended from the roof in such a way 
that on a bear attempting to enter, it falls upon his back and makes him a prisoner. Bruno took his hatchet from his belt and proceeded to crawl into the trap, carefully avoiding the central stick which held up the loose log. It was very dark, but he could see the bright eyes of the fox as it crouched in the far corner. Holding his hatchet ready for a blow, he approached the fox and was just about to strike when, with a sudden desperate dart, it sprang past him toward the door. With an exclamation of anger, Bruno turned to follow it, and in his hast movement brushed against the supporting post. The mischief was done. In an instant the heavy log fell, and although by a quick dodge to the left Bruno saved his shoulder, the ponderous thing descended upon his thigh, and rolling down, pinned his right foot to the ground as firmly as it had been the bear it was intended to capture. Here indeed was a perilous situation for poor Bruno. Flat upon his back, with a huge log across his ankle, what was he to do? Sitting up, he strove with all his might to push the log off, but he might as well have tried to move a mountain. He was fastened down beyond all hope of release without outside help. But what hope was there of outside help? No one knew where he was, for he had said not anything to his mother when setting out, and his father had gone up the road some miles and would not return until dark. The one chance was that his father, on returning home, would miss him and perhaps come in search of him, following the track made by his snowshoes. Even if he did, that could not be for hours yet, and in the meantime he would freeze to death, for the cold was intense, the thermometer was being many degrees below zero. An hour passed, an hour of pain and fruitless conjecture as to the possibility of rescue. As the evening drew near, Bruno became desperate. He gave up all hope of his father reaching him in time, and came to the conclusion that he must either free himself or die, and he saw but one way of getting free. The log lay across his leg just above the ankle. His hatchet was near him. To chop the log away was utterly impossible but it would be an easy thing to chop off the foot that it held so fast. Grasping the hatchet firmly in his right hand, Bruno hesitated for a moment, and then struck with all his might at his leg. A pang of awful agony shot through him, numbed as his nerves were in th with the cold. But setting his teeth in grim determination, he struck blow after blow, 
heeding not the terrible suffering until at length the bone snapped and Bruno was free. Well nigh fainting with pain and weakness, the poor boy on hands and knees began the long and terrible journey homeward. His sufferings were beyond description, but life was very precious, and so long as he retained consciousness, he would not give up the struggle. Fortunately for him, he had not gone more than a hundred yards over the cold hard snow before a bark from a steel trap announced somebody's approach, and just as Bruno fainted dead away, an Indian trapper, who, by the merest chance, had come to see if the trap had taken anything, came striding through the forest already dusky with the shadows of night. With a grunt of surprise he approached Bruno, turned him over gently, while steel trap sniffed doubtfully at his leggings, and then, recognizing the boy's face, and not waiting to investigate into the causes of his injury, he bound his sash about the bleeding stump, and throwing his senseless from over his broad shoulders, set out for the Perry house as fast as he could travel. Not sparing himself the utmost exertion, he arrived there just as night closed in, and pushing into the kitchen, deposited his burden upon the table, saying to Mrs. Perry, who came forward with frightened face, Your boy, eh? Me find him most dead. Took him up right away, eh? When Mr. Perry returned, and beheld his son's pitiful and perilous condition, for once in his life he seemed moved. I must taking him into the hospital in the city the first thing in the morning, he said. He'll die if we keep him here. And so it came about that, watched over by his parents, Bruno was next day carefully driven to the city, where by evening he was snugly ensconced in a comfortable cot in the big bright ward of the hospital. He got well again, of course. So sturdy a lad was not going to succumb even to such injuries as he had suffered. But his foot was gone, and there was no replacing that. And yet, in time, he learned to look upon that lost foot as a blessing. For through it, came the realization of all his desires. A boy with only one foot could not, of course, be a farmer, but he could be a clerk or something of that sort. Accordingly, through the influence of a relative in the city, Bruno, when thoroughly recovered, obtained a position in a lawyer's office as copying clerk. Some years later, he was able to enter upon the study of the law. In due time, he began to practice upon his own account, and with such success that he was ultimately honored with a seat upon the bench as judge of the Supreme Court. 
That's the end of section two.